Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the fifth Sunday of Easter, May 2nd, 2021, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you again to stand as I read the New Testament lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. can be found on page 1705 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's been at least 15 years since the biggest Christian fad of my lifetime reached its peak. When the purpose-driven life hit bookshelves, nearly every congregation was doing it. The church I was a part of at the time, an AFLC congregation, participated in, the week, in a weekly study of those materials. And I think it's quite easy today to forget and dismiss just how popular a purpose-driven life was. Now, I bring this up because of the entire premise of the book. Not the premise the book itself claims to be about, but the premise of the book from an outsider's perspective. I'm fairly certain I've used this illustration before, but it's especially pertinent for today's New Testament lesson. The first line of a purpose-driven life is this. It's not about you. 
And almost every single word that followed was dedicated to an establishing an internally focused me-first Christianity. The entire message of that book, at least from my perspective and from my evaluation, is that Christianity is in fact about you, as long as you are the reader and the consumer of that material. And so as you read through that book, you heard, it is not about you. And then the rest of the book taught you to make your faith about me, 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 me. This is illustrative of the modern church in America. We are plagued by me-first Christianity. We think it's about us. We want it to be about us. More often than not, from the people who are selling books on the bookshelves, if bookstores still existed, we are taught that it is indeed about us. And we do so at the expense of the message of the gospel. And we've done so to the extent that I am often left alarmed as I wonder how many people in the American church can actually and accurately articulate the content of the gospel. And that's the problem for us this morning, a problem that launches us back into the text of Acts chapter 8. We like to talk about the gospel without actually taking time to think what the gospel is about. So we turn our attention back to Philip and back to this Ethiopian eunuch to discover the actual content of the good news. And first we learn in Acts chapter 8 that the good news isn't about you. For all intents and purposes, the one truth we can conclude about this Ethiopian eunuch is that he was a very pious individual. He was respectable, a member of the court of Queen Candace of Ethiopia in charge of the entire treasury of that kingdom. He was trustworthy. He was important. He also had traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Now, if you use current roads, and it's likely that the roads that this Ethiopian used are many, at least the same routes that are used today, because in that part of the world, and, and you can talk to Michael afterwards, and he can verify, there's only so many ways you can travel. You had to follow the Nile, or you're in the middle of the desert. Traveling through the desert is not really an option when you're traveling by chariot. And, and so if you travel the route the Ethiopian likely used to get to Jerusalem, it's a 1,500-mile trip along the Nile to get to Jerusalem. It's an incredibly pious activity to travel that far just to worship God. On top of all this, having done so, the Ethiopian eunuch is actually on his way back. And on his way back, he's not satisfied with the expression of his faith that would carry him 1,500 miles to worship. And so he's studying, he's reading the book of Isaiah. 
So no matter what we think about this gentleman, his piety is on full display for us. But identifying this man's extraordinary piety serves the very useful purpose of pointing out that his exchange with Philip had nothing to do with his own piety. The eunuch asks about whom Isaiah is writing about, and Philip tells him the good news about Jesus. And the reason we need to identify this is because of how often each one of us is prone to making God's good news about us. We make it about our good behavior. Even worse, we make it about our good intentions, about the sincerity of our commitment to follow Jesus. We so habitually make the expression of our faith about us that it's almost hard for us to identify that the gospel is about anything else. I have a friend who told me of a conversation he had with another pastor. And this other pastor revealed to my friend the place where he turned where he needed, when he needed peace and comfort for his own spiritual life was his own obedience. This man identified that when he needed comfort, all he needed to do was remind himself that he was obedient to God's word. And he comforted himself with that peace. Now as jarring as that should be to each one of us, it's far too common in our own lives. How often do we minimize the consequences of our own sin, either by canceling it out with our good works, or by distracting ourselves away from our sin by our good intentions? Sure, I might have sinned here, but I am earnestly trying to follow Jesus. And that's what matters, right? It's a dangerous and poisonous behavior that will eventually crush us when we finally come to the reality of the extent and the depth of our own sinfulness. The good news about Jesus is good news precisely because it's not about us. Precisely because it's about someone else. And yet, we also learn from this exchange between Philip and the Ethiopian that the good news isn't about just anyone else. I've got a simple question for you. What would happen if I was no longer the pastor here at Faith? I hesitated to use this as an illustration, but I think in the end it will be useful to prove my point here. I hesitate because I don't want to give off the impression that I think I'm more important than I actually am. And I hesitate because every time I talk about a situation where I might not be pastor here at faith, I don't want to leave the impression that I'm looking to not be the pastor here at faith. The reason I ask this question, though, is because I hope the answer to that question is not much would change. If I was no longer pastor here at faith, I hope the answer is that there would just be another pastor here, because that's the reality. While the office of pastor is immensely important for how God works through his means of grace, 
Each individual pastor, in one sense, is entirely superfluous to the process. What I do as your pastor with my unique gifts and abilities is exactly what another pastor with his unique gifts and abilities would also be doing. I am not special. The Word of God is. And that's what Philip demonstrates for us here in the book of Acts. In this seemingly coincidental but immensely important God-ordained action, Philip comes alongside, literally and spiritually, this Ethiopian and meets him where he's at. He meets him in the desert and he meets him as this man struggles to understand the Word of God. But what Philip does is special and significant and any other person God sent could have done it. It could have been Thomas, it could have been James, it could have been Matthew or Stephen or anyone else. But God used Philip to proclaim the good news about Jesus, and Philip proclaimed the good news about Jesus, and then Philip got out of the way. Literally, he got out of the way. He vanished when his job was done. But also spiritually, as the Ethiopian met Jesus. I think it's the, the most fascinating part of this account in Acts is that Philip literally disappears and the response of the Ethiopian is still joy in the gospel. Think about that. He doesn't look around for Philip. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't panic. This is not a normal, everyday occurrence. I mean, granted, it was 2,000 years ago and stuff was a little bit different in the Roman world than it is today, but in no point in human history is someone disappearing a normal thing. But it illustrates this one truth. This man had received the gospel and so had received joy. And that was the focus. The gospel isn't about a celebrity pastor or dynamic leader. It's about Jesus. And that's the ultimate truth here in Acts. The good news is about Jesus. The content of the gospel is, in fact, Jesus Christ, but it's about Jesus in a very specific way. The good news about Jesus is not about Jesus' example. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus' example to us is very good, but it is not good news. Jesus' example to us can't be good news because his example either would ultimately end up being about us about our willingness and ability and execution in following his example. And so Jesus' example can't be good news in that way. And Jesus' example can't be good news to us because as we compare ourselves to Jesus, the outcome would only ever be bad. We can't possibly measure up to Jesus' example. Perfection is something we'll never be able to achieve. Jesus' example isn't good news for us. But Jesus' death and his resurrection is. 
the passage the Ethiopian was reading from Isaiah was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The good news about Jesus is simply this. Jesus Christ, God's own Son, God in the flesh, has died for you. The death that Jesus died was the death you deserved. When Jesus hung from the cross, he hung there in your place, punished for nothing he did and everything you did. From this perspective, it's an incredibly unjust thing. From this perspective, Jesus on the cross is awful. It's torturous. And for people who can't get past that perspective, it has led them to say that God is guilty of divine child abuse. Jesus on the cross in your place, in one sense, is the least just thing that has ever happened. Justice was denied him. And yet, in hanging from the cross, and in rising again three days later, Jesus has paid for your sins. Jesus has restored your relationship with God. Jesus has granted you eternal life. And with the whole picture, in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is himself God in the flesh, this one thing Jesus did in dying on the cross and rising again is entirely the most just thing that has ever happened. Because what this means is that your sins, your shame, and your failure have been paid in full under God's system of justice. Your sin hasn't just been thrown away only to come back again at the most inopportune time. Your sin isn't being ignored or God is not pretending it doesn't exist because then God himself could no longer be just. Jesus on the cross in your place is your justice. Your sins have been punished. They're not coming back. Your execution, certain death, has been carried out so that you no longer die but live forever. Death is not a threat. Death is what ushers you into eternity. And what's more, on top of that reality, both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch show us this morning that the entire Bible is about this good news. We can take the gospel here from Isaiah this morning and hear about our forgiveness and salvation. Or you can go to Genesis and hear about your forgiveness and salvation. Or you can go to 2 Kings or Jeremiah or Micah or 1 Corinthians, or Revelation, or anywhere on the pages of Scripture, and you will hear the good news about Jesus. 
Philip demonstrates this. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news. The good news in the Bible for you is everywhere. Because of this, there are two wonderful truths we can learn from Philip and the Ethiopian. First, we ought to notice the desire the Ethiopian has to have this good news applied to him. The Ethiopian's immediate response was to ask Philip to baptize him. And the wonder of God's good news about Jesus for you is that it never runs out. You come to church each week, you hear the gospel preached over and over again, you receive it in Holy Communion over and over again, and the truth of your baptism never ever goes away. You can't possibly exhaust God's grace for you because of Jesus. You can't use it out, you can't sin more than God can forgive you. So long as you are repenting of your sins, God is ready and willing to forgive you because of Jesus. That hunger and thirst the Ethiopian had to be baptized, to have the gospel literally wash over him, is the same thing that happens to you each and every time you hear the gospel, each and every time you enter this sanctuary on Sunday morning. The second wonderful truth about God's good news is the joy it produces. We've already touched on this a little bit. When the Philip suddenly vanished, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't panic. He wasn't even particularly concerned because he was rejoicing that he had the good news. This is the reality of the entire Christian life. Not that the gospel makes your life better and easier and happier. That's not the reality at all. But the reality of the gospel is the joy. You love and serve your neighbor with your good works because of the joy you have in what Jesus has done for you. Your response each Sunday as you receive the good news in your ears and in your mouth is joy. And this joy enables you to sacrificially love your neighbors. Your neighbors may cause you to suffer, and that's all right. Because Christ has given you everything you need for life right now and life in eternity. Something might happen to you in life that is unfair or difficult, and you are comforted by the reality that what happened to Jesus in your place was so much more unfair and so much more difficult, and God pours his mercy on you because of that. Dear saints, this morning, there is good news. And it is good news about Jesus Christ. It is good news about Jesus Christ for you. Jesus Christ has died for you. He has shed his blood for you. You are forgiven. And Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.